Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eight and six, and is that division door creeping open for the Indianapolis Colts? We're back, another edition of Kevin's Corner. Uh, I am Kevin Bowen, a little under the weather, Eddie Garrison, so... Just be me uh, writing here, I guess driving the operation fully on this Monday morning. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another edition of Kevin's Corner. Uh, we're in the thick of it right now, and the Colts have continued to you know, position themselves in a spot to claim a playoff berth. And with Jacksonville's recent issues, certainly playing-wise and health-related as well, uh, you got to acknowledge the AFC South, so we'll touch on that today. Uh, Colts winners. 30 unanswered on Saturday, 30-13 to 13 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Much, much needed. 8-6 and six now on the year, especially you know, when you look at Sunday and how crazy the endings were at that 1 o'clock slate with the Bears uh, unable to finish off the Browns, and then the Texans looked like a tie to me. Hell, it looked like a loss for a majority of the day, and they somehow beat the Titans there. Uh, much, much needed. For the Colts to get that one, another conference win, you know, head-to-head tiebreaker. Uh, and really, I, I think back to Shane Steichen's opening press conference, you know, the old quote of pass to score, run to win. Uh, that one had the feel of it. I, I would say probably most uh, – it, it's the win that's kind of most felt like that this season of, of any of them. And, um, you know, I think if – you know, you guys listen to this podcast, it's kind of funny when I did the Wednesday pod – Last week, uh, I went with the Colts, and then as you know, I saw T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith start to trend in the right direction. I actually flipped it late in the week to the Steelers, and really the first quarter uh, kind of played out exactly what I thought could happen, and, and and even would happen. In that, you know, T.J. Watt and that pass rush had an ability to wreck the game, and you know they obviously sacked Minshew on each of the first three series. You know, certainly, you have you know what could have been a catastrophic block punt, and you know imagine this team last year down thirteen nothing. In mid-December. And, you know, even, you know, put Shane Steichen's team into the shoes. It's kind of a foreign territory, this game, you know, meaning so much. You know, just gotten steamrolled in the second half in Cincinnati, really outplayed for the vast majority of that game. And, and now, all of a sudden, you know, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh have scored 33 straight points against you. Terrible towels are starting to wave. You lose Zach Moss. You lose Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, that's opportunity. I mean, you are on the ropes, and it's opportunity. You take another shot or two to the chin – and you might be done. Um, so to bounce back, rattle off the 30 unanswered, um, you know, the, the play of the offensive line stands out. The play of Gardner Minshew certainly stands out. Uh, and then, you know, bully ball there in the second half by the Colts. And, again, such a critical, critical victory as we look ahead to the final three weeks of the season. I know Shane Sykin would want to point to, you know, plus three in the turnover margin, only two penalties. I'd love to see the difference. Let me see if I can find that. The difference in penalty yardage. From the two teams, um, 91 yards. Pittsburgh got eight for 101. Colts had two for 10. 
Huge, huge difference there. And obviously the turnovers. Uh, when you have two teams that are kind of in a similar position, uh, if you would have said, you know, one's obviously going to win, you know, that category three to nothing, I'd probably say it's going to be an overwhelming result that way. And certainly it was. You know, as much as the final score indicates, you know, bloodbath, blowout, dominant, however you want to call it, I, I, I do want to make sure we point out just a couple of key plays in the first half before we get to, um, you know, things that, you know, maybe a little bit more bigger picture, like the play of the O-line, the unsung guys stepping up. Again, I thought easily Gardner Minshew's best game of the season. I go back to a third down, down 13 nothing. Uh, near midfield, and Gardner Minshew starts rolling to his right, and it doesn't look good at all. Uh, nothing's open. Uh, Minshew's, you know, patting it and patting it, and, you know, disaster's starting to creep into my head. Again, at that point, you know, you had been sacked, you know, each of the first three drives. You know, the single team on T.J. Watt, uh, I didn't really understand there early in that game. That was a big play that, you know, ended up kind of knocking you to the fringe of field goal range, and Matt Gay doesn't make that field goal there. And so, you know, here you are. It's a fourth series of the game, and you know you're in a position where, or excuse me, it's a third series of the game, and you and you're in a spot where you know if you punt this away, um, you know Pittsburgh's got the ball with a 13 nothing lead, and they feel like they're in great great position. Menchu extends, extends, uh, you know, kind of points downfield to Michael Pittman, throws a great ball on the run, a two Pittman who hauls it in for the 42 yarder. That was the jolt, the spark you needed. Uh, then on the very next drive, you have Nick Cross make his finest play as a pro. I mean, that's what Pittsburgh wants. You know, Pittsburgh wants to take a shot vertically to George Pickens. You know, decent ball by Trubisky. It, you know, if you want to nitpick, you know, it, it, it Cross get there a hair early. But, you know, I, I just loved how he did attack that. You know, kind of that is my ball in the air. Especially for a guy that... It hasn't played, and I mean, I can't even recall too many of those opportunities for Nick Cross in his career. I think oftentimes you see inexperienced DBs come in the game, those moments happen, and they panic. No panic from Nick Cross, high points it, takes it away from George Pickens. You know, if either of those plays go the other way, I mean, you guys know this, I'm such a big believer in game flow, things could change. And, you know, Pittsburgh could, whatever, stay in the game a little bit longer, and maybe you don't have the same sort of just physical, imposing manner um, that you did to close that one out. So um, that is, I think, something that you have to look at and realize that, you know, those couple of plays, they might not be, you know, again, the Trey Sermon, Tyler Goodson, or the Mo Cox, you know, highlight there in the third quarter um, that are shown, but those are such just critical plays when you need them, when you really, really need something to spark a change. And then if you bleed into the third quarter, you got to go with EJ Speed's strip. Um, just an outstanding play by him and taking away that football of Najee Harris. Um, it was kind of funny listening to him talk about it after the game. We had him on our morning show on Monday. We probably should throw that interview in the Wednesday pod. But you know, he, he said, you know, when guys go to the ground, oftentimes they just lose a little bit of air on the football. You're, you're, you're kind of bracing your fall and uh, that was pretty vintage Shaquille Leonard there by EJ Speed. And, boy, what a great job by Julian Blackman to get on the fumble before he went out of bounds. And, again, that's still kind of a one-point game at that point. Um, so just huge play by Speed. And i probably say the last thing I'll mention before we get into what I liked and what I didn't like, I thought the sequence at the end of the first half was another big, big 
you know, part of it. Again, you had the Minshew extension of the third down. You have Nick Cross, you know, halting a Pittsburgh drive that had reached midfield with that interception. But even late in the first half, it's still 13-7. You know, you had the DJ Montgomery drop in the end zone. Uh, and Pittsburgh starts to move it. And Trubisky's got Pat Fryermuth just wide open on a third and short. I think it was like third and three. Wide open. And, you know, I think if you listen to Wednesday's pod, probably the hesitancy, well, I, I know on Wednesday's pod I actually picked the Colts. And, and, and part of the reason why was I just think Trubisky stinks. Um, and I think one of the stinkiest moments you saw was on that third and three, he's got Fryermuth wide open. If they convert there, you know, they are getting closer to midfield. At the very least, they've probably burned out the rest of the first half clock from you doing anything. And he misses him badly. And the Colts take over. They do have three timeouts, but they take over at their own 26 with 44 seconds. I would say probably, uh, you know, less than 10% of those drives end in a touchdown. I don't know. That's me just totally talking out of my you-know-what. But that's just my initial thought on it. And you go right back to Montgomery. You hit him for the catch and run for 34. Then you take the shot to Alec Pierce. And what have we said endlessly? You know, you take concentrated shots down the field, flat out. Um, that is exactly what you should do. And DBs are going to panic. And in that instance, it was Joey Porter Jr., the rookie corner, having to make a play, and he panics. Uh, so now all of a sudden you're inside the red zone, and boom, two plays later, it's Montgomery on that, on that touchdown. What a huge turn of events there. You know, 13-7 half, Pittsburgh leads. Now it's 14-13, terrible towels are quieter. Boom, um, EJ Speed, you know, fumble happens after that three and out. And the uh, and bully ball just ensued from there. So just some big stuff, I thought, in the second quarter that, again, down 13 nothing. I mean, that is a moment where who knows what could happen. If you somehow get down another score or if you get a little bit sluggish, does, you know, Shane Sykin feel like he can't really incorporate the run game? Does your pass rush or the, you know, the ability to block their pass rush start to have some quiet moments? Um, what a response by Indianapolis with all of that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, let's get into what I liked. And obviously, I think you've got to start with the offensive line. Bernard Ryman kind of had a funny comment yesterday and saying, last week was no fun. Uh, that was how he would describe exiting the Cincinnati game, and very understandable. You know, I said it last Monday. I thought it was the worst trench performance of the season. And, you know, if you fast forward to the first, you know, whatever, 15 minutes on, on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday, it wasn't a great start for that group. Uh, you know, you had the three sacks allowed. You had the false start penalty on Blake Freeland. It was shaky. Um, but then that trench group started to take control of the game. And first, let's start with why. Because that was why, again, I thought Pittsburgh would eke one out. It's just I thought Watt would make a couple of plays. And, you know, he had two sacks and whatnot. But I can't even remember a play he made in the final two and a half quarters. And so the single team you saw on him early, you gave him a ton of attention the rest of the game. Um, I thought Gardner Minshew did a nice job of, you know, throwing towards, you know, Watt and towards that side of the field. Like, there was no hesitancy. I think sometimes you have those elite rushers, you're so hesitant to wanting to look towards that direction or throw there. Watt's made so many plays in the past game in his career. None of that 
from Minshew, I think 12 of his 18 completions came to the right side. And the stat that really, really stands out about the offensive line is um, from True Media, 4.15 yards from the Colts runners before contact. I think about that. If you average just four yards per carry, it's a great, great day. But you got 4.15 yards before contact. That is all an offensive line stat. And it is such a damn impressive statistic. And you bullyballed them. And it was almost, and this sounds like a discredit to Tyler Goodson and Trey Sermon, but it's almost like it didn't matter who was behind the O-line. I mean, if you have 4.15 yards before contact, it's going to be a good day no matter who's running it. Uh, and I think it's also important to do that when, again, you've got, I mean, Goodson knows his first NFL carry, probably the most work Sermon's really ever gotten in a game, I would think, certainly in a Colts uniform. And, you know, consistently they're able to churn out those yards, and when you make the decision-making on them, you know, not too stressful early on in run plays, that's a huge, huge benefit. Um, so, again, bully ball up front, uh, certainly the 13 straight runs or whatever the number was in the you know, fourth quarter speaks for itself. Um, the in-game response, you know, wasn't perfect from the start, but the in-game response from the O-line, just outstanding for the Colts in week 15. All right, the second thing that I like, you got to go to the quarterback. And, and there's been so many times we've done these Monday pods and, you know, I'll sit here and say, you know, the Colts won in spite of Gardner Minshew. Or the Colts won and maybe overcame a lackluster Gardner Minshew. And you needed, you know, a couple pump blocks in, uh, where was it, in, in Tennessee. Or you needed Matt Gay's 50-yard field goals. Or, you know, you needed New England to be New England, et cetera, et cetera. Or Kenny Moore's two pick sixes. Like, this was, you won because of Gardner. Uh, easily his best game of the season. Uh, the highest passer rating of the year. Certainly backs that up. I think it's the third highest of his career. You know, I already talked about the third down play to Pittman. Just that's an outstanding, outstanding play for him. You know, I thought he's 18 to 28. The completion percentage should be even higher because of, you know, two touchdown drops and, you know, even a little high throw by Gardner. But, you know, Pittman should haul in that one earlier in the game when he drops it. He was on target. He took shots down the field when needed. And those are necessary shots down the field, as we've talked about. Again, the extension of the Pittman play. But I think more than anything, I cannot recall any turnover-worthy plays he had. Like any plays like, man, boy, Pittsburgh, man, that was a big dropped interception. Or, boy, that, that overthrow, that easily could have been, you know, going the other way. He stayed away from that. And that's been him. You know, this is much more of the, you know, back of the baseball card that we've talked about. Sure, he went above and beyond, but that was much more of that from Gardner Minshew. Uh, again, easily his best game as a Colt, more on his plate with the skill guys down, and he stepped up majorly for you. So great work from Gardner Minshew. Uh, not the one we've seen here in 2023 and when you really, um, really needed him to give that to you. Lastly, just the unsung heroes. Again, Sermon and Goodson and Montgomery – you know, bouncing back from the drops. You know, I, I'd even consider Nick Cross a little bit of that just because, you know, he is a guy that hasn't played a ton in the NFL and was thrown into a very difficult situation for a young DB and handled it, you know, glowingly well. Um, you know, those guys all stepped up. And, um, you know, Sermon and Goodson, 
you think back to their careers, you know, us in Big Ten country, I've certainly certainly remember both of them. I mean, Goodson, you know, had a nice couple of seasons at Iowa. I was a little surprised he didn't get drafted. Uh, I think you've seen the Colts try to get him involved in recent weeks perimeter-wise. That's where he's at his best. You know, it's kind of more of a lateral quickness guy. I mean, he ran 4-4 at the Combine. I know, you know, size-wise, he's not very big. Um, and then Sermon is much more the punisher. You know, certainly the Big Ten title game when he went for, what was it, 3 three freaking 30, I think it was. You know, he, uh, he has produced or, or did produce at a pretty high level at Ohio State, you know, transferred from Oklahoma and, you know, third-round pick, and Shane Steichen's got the history in Philly with them, but... Um, for those two guys, you know, again, not to have the mentals. You know, I think at times you've seen a drop or two, or, you know, you sometimes you throw a backup running back in the game, they start running well, they forget about ball security, and boom, you know, it's a huge play in the game. So both of them really, really solid. Again, DJ Montgomery's asked to play a big role. Play, actually played more than Josh Downs. I think some of the heavy run looks in the second half played into that, but um, still, uh, that was obviously a hu- huge, huge presence for you. Um, so the unsung guys, you know, stepping up. I, in a way, the game kind of turned into a battle of depth. Um, you know, it, it, if you look at what happened to Pittsburgh, from the Casey, Casey getting ejected, Mika Fitzpatrick, you know, knee injury. You know, they were down to, I think another safety got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were down to their fourth or fifth safety. Uh, and if you look at their inside linebacker group, they're already down to, like, their fourth or fifth guy there. So, I mean, the middle of the field just decimated. And Shane Steichen challenged him there. And, again, in the battle of depth, you know, Shane's depth you know, outlasted Tomlin's depth. Um, and then the run game obviously just took over their late. Um, things I didn't. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Like, I think you've, you certainly got to start with Matt Gay and just the special teams in general. Um, you know, I changed Steichen on Monday, or I guess on Sunday it would have been. Is it physical? Is it mental? Uh, and I bring up the mental... I think I mentioned this on last week's podcast. You know, he leaves that Tennessee game, a birth of his kid in Utah, birth of his daughter, and you know he doesn't get back. You know, he, he gets back in time for practice, but that's obviously a lot on you. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna whatever act like you know they're all back in Indy right now, and he's waking up in every feeding. I have no idea what the personal life is, but still, that is a lot on you. Um, so you know, part of that maybe was why I maybe didn't make up. A bigger deal about the you know Cincinnati misses that he had. Um, again, I didn't think it was a very windy day for cold weather. Evan McPherson obviously handled it well, but when he misses the 56-yarder on Saturday, and that was just a shank, and it went left, bad left. That was Vanderjack the opposite way. At that point, three straight misses all left. Then he gets the fourth quarter, and then he misses the one right off the upright. And boy, did he need that last field goal you know, more than anything, just to make one. And finally, you know, not having that kind of ha- – I mean, certainly there's a cloud over him, but that would have been really a hanging cloud over him if he would have missed another one or even if he wouldn't have been able to kick that. So I thought that was nice by Shane Steichen to run him out there there late. Um, so, 
I think Matt Gay's recent career has earned him some benefit of the doubt. Now, it still has not been a great percentage for him this season. He's been asked to kick a lot of balls north of 50 yards, so you got to acknowledge that. They are indoors for the next three weeks. I bring up physical because some of the kickoff stuff was weird to me. I mean, they had a net kickoff. Well, not even the net kickoff. I think that was just bad execution when they kicked off from the 50. They squibbed it. It was a net kickoff of 14 yards, which is just awful, especially when you're kicking off from the 50. But that opening kick, I was like, wait a minute. That was just like a line drive. And I, <laughs> I don't know. It just, um, yeah, it, it, it was very, very odd uh, by, by you know, me watching it, of course, but you know, certainly uh, the execution of it. And then, of course, you had the pump block, which could have been a huge, huge mistake. So Matt Gay slash special team, certainly something that I didn't like. Um, the other thing, and maybe it's a hair nitpicking, but I did think your rookie corners had a few rookie corner moments. Um, you know, you didn't pass the communication, or the communication wasn't passed off well in the end zone on the touchdown. Um, if you look at it from a, um, you know, from a uh, Jalen Jones, Juju Brent standpoint, there are a couple penalties on each of them. Um, you, you know, a little bit of issue in coverage. Again, nothing too alarming. I think Tr- Trubisky's not the type of quarterback to truly challenge you for four quarters. And again, I don't know if there is a quarterback on the rest of the uh, rest of the schedule. I guess C.J. Stroud would be one of them, but that's probably it the rest of the way. So um, that's where I would point to of. Just watching that a little bit closely, again, I don't think you're going to have too much of an issue with it in the coming weeks because I don't think Desmond Ritter slash Taylor Heineke or Aiden O'Connell is capable of necessarily challenging you to that degree over the course of four quarters. Plus, I think you're dialing up enough pass rush right now, i.e., or I should say besides the Cincinnati game, to hopefully avoid that. Uh, but that is something I think just to keep an eye on a little bit there. Um, all right, let's get into Twitter questions here. Don't have a ton to get to today. We'll save a couple more before when Eddie gets back on Wednesday. This first one here from Big Bama. With the way Nick Cross is progressing, do you think ultimately the Colts will have to make a decision on what two safeties they will have moving forward? Is this the same situation like the linebacker room when Shaquille Leonard came back besides the injuries? Um, I don't, I don't really think a huge decision on it. I mean, I, I know Julian Blackman's a free agent. I think you re-sign him. That, to me, seems like you know, a pretty smart idea. But I, I like having three safeties, three that you trust. Um, you could rotate like you're doing now. It offers you a little flexibility in sub-packages. If that's something you want to explore down the road, I know Gus Bradley hasn't really done that here in Indy, uh, but it would be something to entertain. Uh, and then I don't think you can totally ignore Julian Blackman's injury history. Yes, he's been really healthy this year. I, I can hardly ever remember him even being on the injury report for missing as much you know, spring in camp as he did. Um, and I don't think Blackman's going to break the bank. I think he'll have a market, but I don't think he's going to break the bank there. So, um, you know, Rodney Thomas and, and um, Nick Cross are both under contract for two more years. So, yeah, I, I'm totally good with bringing back Julian Blackman. You know, still have some depth there and some flexibility moving forward. Jason's going to go a little WTF here on Matt Gay. I know two crappy games doesn't get you released, but how many games in a row does? He doesn't have the get-out-of-jail-free future Hall of Famer card that Vinatieri did. Yeah, I think you guys know where I stood on Vinatieri in 2019. I I frankly didn't think he had the get-out-of-jail-free card at that point in his career. I mean, he was in his mid-40s. He was hurt, hadn't been the same kicker. I mean, if you really want to get nitpicky with Vinny's career, it's more of a clutch kicker than it is like Justin Tucker 
type, you know, accuracy and and distance. Um, you know, it, with Matt Gay, you know, he missed two kicks all last year. I think he missed two the year before that. So his past, you know, his recent history, I think, gives him a leash. I mean, in no way, shape, or form are you cutting him even, I think, the rest of the season. I think you would write him out for the rest of the year, whatever. You know, maybe you bring in kicking out competition in the offseason, but I'm still not there with him at all. I mean, yes, he missed three inside of 45 yards. That's not good. It's not what you're paying him to do. The 56-yarder. I mean, that still is a coin flip, even indoors. Uh, now, should he miss it as bad as he did? Yeah, no, but um, maybe I'm giving him too much of benefit of the doubt, but I think he's earned – I mean, nothing drastic I think is going to solve anything right here and right now through the cl- close of the season. You know, mental, physical, whatever. I don't know if he can get extra reps with them. That doesn't seem like maybe – I mean, he could certainly kick on his own. Uh, you know, is it a timing thing? I mean, Rhodes and you know, Sanchez have been the operation for so, so long here in Indy. So I understand there's frustration. I understand it needs to be watched. But at the same time, I just don't see this ready-made fix, you know, with him necessarily or that there is just a drastic need to do it without some easy answer. You know, no matter what, you'd be bringing a new kicker into your building. Uh, if you did go to kind of that DEFCON sort of hypothetical there, which, again, I don't even think you should really entertain too, too much. Uh, This one from Austin. Hey, Kevin, Merry Christmas. Hope you and the family are doing great. If you had to pick one running back to keep keep on the roster between Trey Sermon and Tyler Goodson, who would it be? Also with Michael Pittman out, could we see a little more of DJ Montgomery or someone else? Well, certainly, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Um, You know, I know it's a... Kind of echo what I said during Thanksgiving. I feel like I get a little bit more sentimental and sappy around the holidays nowadays. Um, but it is such a beautiful time of year. And uh, certainly safe travels to everyone out there over the next couple of days, couple of weeks. Uh, podcast schedule will be a little bit jumbled here moving forward. We'll still be Monday, Wednesday this week. Um, but, you know, that is something that you certainly think of this time of year. You know, Sermon or Goodson, I would rather go with Goodson if everyone's healthy. You know, he's more of the, you know, can you make a guy miss in space? Again, I, I think he's had kind of a moment or two that's been somewhat intriguing to me, even in recent weeks before this Pittsburgh game. You know, Sermon's probably a little bit more of a, you have Taylor Hurt or you have, you know, Zach Moss Hurt. Again, more of your in-between-the-tackles power guy. I mean, with Pittman out, and again, you know, by all accounts, Pitt, yes, he is in concussion protocol, but seems to be feeling pretty well. And, um, you know, seemed to be in good spirits after the game. And uh, there is not a lot of options as an outside wideout. You know, I think that is a concern. And, yes, I mean, as well as DJ Montgomery bounced back, I mean, he still had two big drops in that game. Um, so you can't ignore, you know, totally that. You know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of, like, other options. You know, certainly on your 53-man roster, no. I, I mean, obviously this is where Ashton Doolin would kind of come into play, but with him it's, Season over. Well, they got a couple of wideouts on the practice squad, but still, I think you know this is probably what the group would look like moving into Atlanta. We'll certainly keep an eye on that. Uh, the Colts will go walk through Wednesday, practice Thursday, practice Friday this week, and then you know with Moss, I, I think there's some optimism that Jonathan Taylor could return this week. I believe it's the same arm for Zach Moss as what he hurt 
back during training camp. And, and really, just the kick in the you-know-what with, with this is, uh, you know, two both those injuries occurred on uh, illegal plays. And I think that is what you know, stings as well, is both of those, you know, penalized infractions. And, you know, when you look at the Pittman play, obviously, you know, the line that I'm going to say after that about the USC pretty boy, there's absolutely none of it. Um, that dude is just tougher than tough. Um, if you go back and watch that play and you really slow it down, Casey certainly leads with his head. It's almost like he gets his shoulder more into kind of that right under the chin, almost neck sternum area of Pittman. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, I mean, you know, how did he not injure his neck or sternum just where that hit was? Not as much on the, on the head per se as it was, you know, a little bit else. So um, that is something that I feel like, you know, you just watch it and you think, how the hell did this man walk away from that? And how the hell did he walk away from the Carolina one? Um, it's incredible, you know, how much toughness he has and his ability to, you know, get up from those hits. And, I mean, hell, if it was up to him, he certainly would have stayed in the game there. Uh, this one from Chris. Chris, I've been a season ticket holder the last four years. And, sorry, I just scrolled by it here. And went to random games before that. I felt Steelers fans were the biggest jerks. Oh, okay. I've seen in other fan bases. What team's fans do you feel are the worst? Also, did you think the Colts organization was too nice to the Steelers fans? I noticed they did a welcome to the Steelers fans before the game. Blue did not pie a Steelers fan. And they did not do a Steelers fan on the lookalike cam where they look like an evil character. Why were these things changed for Steelers fans that rubbed me the wrong way? Wow. Um... I mean, to be totally honest with you, I don't know like how observant I could maybe be on the fandom, you know, credence. I, I think the Steelers fans are probably passionate. I guess passionate could also at times be interpreted as, you know, rude and unruly. Uh, the terrible towels to me. I don't understand why they wave them so much offensively. I feel like that'd be a little, little distracting to their unit. They obviously travel tremendously well. Um, you know, certainly they had a ton of black and yellow. In that building there. Yeah, now that you say it, I didn't notice anything pregame from a blue standpoint on that. And the, yeah, the welcome Steelers thing. I remember looking at the Jumbotron thinking, like, is there a spoof off this? I didn't really, maybe I missed it. I didn't really see the spoof off of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know why the Colts would all of a sudden kind of change up with their normal pregame routine is with some of that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the Colts organization's like, yeah, we're just happy that people are buying tickets, period. And at least you're in our building, and that's all that matters there. So um, environment-wise, I thought it was fine. You know, Pittsburgh made some noise early. I thought, you know, Colts had a you know, pretty noisy day as well. I don't think it was overwhelming, you know, one way or the other. So, yeah, Chris, I don't – yeah. I, you know, I feel like so much of this too can just be like, you just get the wrong batch of fans. You know, if you just get the one – you know, if you were by the four-person you know group of Steelers fans that are drunk and yelling and you know being obnoxious to you, and uh, who knows, maybe there's a flock of Jacksonville fans that fall into that boat, or a, you know, flock of insert your team here. So I don't know if you can kind of group all of them together. All right, last one right here from Randall. Um, he goes, "I'm still asking myself the question of who are we." Started because we didn't know how far Anthony Richardson, how far along Anthony Richardson was. Now I'm asking that because we're so hot and cold. 
Which team are we going to be here on out? The team that can run the ball when they need to, the team that has toughness and execution, or the other team? The one that can't get out of its way, can't move the ball consistently, and can't put it together for 60 minutes. Well, Randall, I think, <laughs> I mean, first off, I would think very few teams in the league are a team that is super consistent at a high level for 80% of the season. Um, and the teams that are, are uh, top of the division. I mean, that's, that's Dallas, and that's, you know, whatever. That's, you know, and, and even, obviously, it's not smart to say Dallas after what just happened. But, yeah, I mean, the 80, 85% of the season, you know, Miami, Baltimore, Dallas, Philly, San Francisco, obviously there's going to be moments where you don't have full three-phase consistency. Uh, and I think people get so alarmed over kind of singular results in the league, which, you know, part of that's just the cycle of playing once a week. You know, I'm more of a trend guy. You know, do you start to see things for several weeks in a row? And I think that's probably what's confusing for the Colts right now. It's that, you know, they had won four in a row. Competition hadn't been great. Last two weeks, they've had an uptick in competition. One game, they were thoroughly outplayed. The other game, they pretty much thoroughly outplayed their opponent, or certainly did for the final three quarters. So, yeah, I think that's what adds to the confusion. But then when you think about it, okay, that's probably why the Colts are the seventh seed in a 16-team AFC. And, you know, right in kind of the middle of the pack. That's probably what they are. The good news continues to be that there are some things that, you know, you didn't see earlier in the season, particular Minshew's performance, and then, you know, the offensive line bouncing back. You know, can you bottle that up? Again, past president of the season would say that's probably not going to happen with Minshew. The offensive line, run game-wise as of late, has obviously not been what it was on Saturday. Um, but again, the competition just doesn't lend to a lot of strenuous challenges really at all. I mean, you already have seen the headlines with the Falcons this week. Quarterback, head coach, future in question. Like, and that seems to be the storyline every single week with the Colts opponents. Um, but they, unlike others, have taken advantage of that. You know, Houston has lost to Carolina. Pittsburgh has lost to Arizona and New England. You know, you've got, you know, you've got the bad teams on your schedule. They aren't just given Ws. You've got to take advantage of that, and the Colts really have done that for the most part. Um, so this isn't college football. You know, this is not strength of schedule, quality of wins, ITA, you know. None of that matters. It is strictly wins and losses, period. Um, that's what it's all about. So uh, that is obviously the only thing that matters is just wins and losses. Um, so what team's going to show up in the final three weeks of the season? Um, I would expect them to win. The, I certainly would expect them to win the next two, but I don't necessarily think, okay, they win the next two, all of a sudden, boom. You know, they match up with Miami, or I, I think that's who they would play at the start of the playoff start today. Would I expect them to go down to Miami and win? Uh, probably not. I mean, they haven't played, you know, anyone like Miami really all season, especially here in the last month or two. So uh, that's a difficulty with how the schedule's kind of laid out. And it's probably just really the difficulty in the nature of having an average NFL football team or a team hovering around 500. It's that there are moments of good, there are moments of bad, how do you think that they're going to play moving forward? You know, does a return of Taylor ignite things a little bit more? Again, is this now Minshew that we see a little bit of a late season flip out of them? Uh, the pass rushes, you know, didn't have a great week in Cincinnati at all, but then, 
you know, especially Dio Dangbo, man, he's been such an effective rusher this season. Uh, you know, does that start to lead to a little bit more? Um, so that's probably the difficulty of that. Um, all right, that probably wraps up this edition of Kevin's Corner. Again, we're going to be back on Wednesday with more. Um, I'd encourage everyone to go to our website. That's 1075thefan.com. Got a detailed look in there at the, um, at the playoff picture and where things stand uh, right now. I, I cannot stress this enough. And, again, there is a path open to the division. You're going to have to finish with a better record than Jacksonville here in the final three weeks for that to be possible. But if you look at things right now, I mean, there is a better than decent chance everything's going to come down to week 18. And you beat Houston, you're in. You lose to Houston, you're out. It's like a 60% difference. And that's if, you know, if the Colts go, you know, even one and two the next three games. You know, even if they lost the next two and then beat Houston, they could still have a chance. Um, you know, two and one. If you go two and one, you need one of those two wins to beat Houston. I mean, that's that's really the the big big one. But um, that's just kind of how it is right now with such a jumbled picture. And now you've got the AFC South component to throw in there as well. So again, it is still darn amazing that the Colts are sitting here at eight and six. Shane Steichen deserves to be on high on any coach of the year ballot. Should be on any coach of the year ballot. And that, that's you can make the argument that was that's the greatest move that Chris Bauer has made. Um, you know, when you think about personnel-wise and draft pick-wise and all of that, because, again, I, 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 if you hire Raheem Morris or you hire somebody else, I'm not sure if Anthony Richardson is here. I'm not sure if that, you know, the confidence in that, in that um, sort of selection would, would be here. So uh, kudos Chris Bauer. Kudos Jim Mercer for allowing Chris Bauer to run the operation for that head, head coaching search. And I mean, even, even if Shane doesn't win coach of the year. Uh, again, that's going to do nothing to lessen what I think of him as a head coach and certainly from an offensive standpoint, probably more than anything. Uh, so that wraps up this edition of Kevin's Corner. Everybody have a great week. We will talk to you on Wednesday.